Is the church today doing everything it can to provide women a firm foundation of truth in Christ Jesus? Well, it's true there's no shortage of candy-coated Bible studies, potluck fellowships available to ladies. But beyond Sunday morning, are Christian women being properly equipped to stand against the same deceptions that even enticed Eve in the garden? In an attempt to address the need for trustworthy, biblical resources for women, No Compromise Radio is happy to introduce Equipping Eve, a ladies-only radio show that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth in an age that's ripe with deception. My name is Mike Abendroth, and I'm pleased to introduce your host, Aaron Benzinger, a friend of No Compromise Radio and a woman who wants to see other women equipped with a love for and a knowledge of the truth of God's Word. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve, the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's Word, not only so that we can stand strong in an age of deception against all of the lies and deceptions that are out there surrounding God's Word and the truth that is available to us there, but equipping you, ladies, with the Word, encouraging you to get into the Word, to get equipped, so that you may grow spiritually so that you may come to know your Lord and Savior better, so that you may grow in holiness, in sanctification, and desire righteousness as you walk in this life and are conformed day by day to the image of Christ. You know, there is no shortage of quote-unquote discernment ministries out there that love to take the time to talk to you about all of the false teachers that are out there. Oh, Benny Hinn is bad. Joyce Meyer is bad. Beth Moore is bad. Paula White is bad. Um, Perry Noble's bad. Stephen Furtick's bad. Lisa Turkhoust is bad. This person, that person, this person is bad. Let me tell you why. Over and over and over and over again. And we get it. We get it don't we? We get it. Like, Rick Warren is off with another false teacher. Stephen Furtick saying something narcissistic and completely theologically idiotic. Why do we continue to be surprised by this stuff? And why do we continue to write headlines that simply just bring more publicity to these people? I don't understand. And that is not, when you hear discernment, unfortunately, that's what you think of. You think of these discernment ministries that just point out all the false teachers. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that when done rightly. But that is not the the sum and total of, quote-unquote, discernment. Discernment is not just picking out the wolves and flapping and yapping about them all day long when they just continue to do the same thing over and over again, and we really only need to hear about it once or twice, and then we get it. No, no, no. Discernment is is knowing the truth from the almost truth. You know, being able to hear someone who is maybe perceived as doctrinally sound, but then they're, they're kind of saying some things that you're thinking, oh, I don't know if that's exactly what the scripture means. Discernment is being able to tell when the word is being handled rightly and not necessarily by these blatantly false teachers. You know, discernment is knowing how to live in this world as a Christian. You know, discernment is a much broader term than it has come to mean in our day of the internet. And it's unfortunate because now discernment as a term and as a type of ministry has a very negative connotation. And, you know, 
it's not surprising that it does. But ladies, we need to be equipped with the word, not just so that you can hear when Beth Moore says something stupid again and and be able to say, oh, no, that's wrong. No, no, you need to know the word. You need to be equipped in the word so that you can train up your children, so that you can can stand strong against your unbelieving co-workers and be faithful and courageous to proclaim the gospel to them when God gives you opportunity. That's what you need to be equipped for ultimately. And so discernment and the false teachers and, and this and that, it's, it's, a, it's an important ministry, but it's not often done rightly. It's often done with an incorrect focus. And so I hope, I hope while we do have elements of that here on this show, we will take an occasional episode to look at some crazy teachings and, and we're going to look at some interesting articles here today even. Ultimately, Ladies, I don't want you to walk away from an Equipping Eve episode thinking about the false teacher that we just talked about, if that happens to be the topic. I want you to walk away from Equipping Eve thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking about his saving gospel, thinking about how salvation is found in him alone, how he purchased us with his blood. I want you to walk away thinking about the grandeur and the glory and the magnificence of the word of God. I want you to walk away with high and lofty thoughts of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And ladies, if we are not doing that here at Equipping Eve, then we are failing. And if those are not the desires of your heart as a Christian, then I urge you and encourage you to pray that God would help you to examine your own heart and your own motives as you as you uh, search the internet, as you read articles and blogs and visit websites and, and Facebook pages. Pray for discernment in what you're reading. It may be doctrinally accurate, but is it edifying and is it equipping you properly? Or is it equipping you in a lopsided manner? There's a lot to consider. And I say these things, ladies, not as a means of rebuke, not as a means of lashing out or speaking against uh, any any particular ministry, website, people out there. That's certainly not my intention here today. I have no one in mind as I speak these things. I say this out of my own personal growth that God has been good to to grant to me over the years. I used to be very much a discernment ministry, air quotes, uh, type of person. And he has been good and wonderful and, and faithful to grow me in a different direction. And so I feel compelled to urge you and encourage you to grow beyond those quote unquote discernment ministry borders as well, because I know so many of us can get caught up in that so very, very easily. So that's my soapbox for the day. And I did not intend to get on it today, but there we are. So Speaking of discernment, discernment in the world, uh, there's some wacky things going on in the world. Shocking. And uh, I came across an article that just made me roll my eyes. And it's one of those things. It's written by a liberal. It's written by a liberal who I think claims to be a Christian. So it's rather interesting considering her particular views on things. And, you know, this is this is something in the world today. We need to have discernment on how to um, address 
maybe some arguments like this, but then sometimes you also need to have discernment to just say, you know what, that's just ridiculous and I'm not even going to lend credibility to it. And this is, this kind of borders on both of those, but it's, uh, it's kind of amusing, uh, the arguments that are made here in this article. So I thought we'd take a look now. Transgender, the whole transgender issue. It, why are we surprised by it? Everyone's all up in arms about it. Listen, Romans 1, why are we shocked that all of this is happening and all of this is being celebrated by our culture? I don't know why we aren't expecting it. Perhaps we're spending too much time reading Facebook and blogs and need to spend more time reading our Bibles so that we're not all surprised and shocked when things like this happen. You know, you can boycott all the stores you want to. Eventually, the majority of stores are going to have this whole transgender bathroom thing. But the transgender thing is a rather large issue going on in the world today. And so I came across this article from the Huffington Post. So there you go. We already know what we're getting into. It's written by Suzanne DeWitt Hall. She is a freelance scribbler, cookbookophile, and other weird things that she describes herself as. Uh, and she has written a blog called Jesus, the First Transgender Man. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay, this was written on the 18th of May, 2016. Suzanne DeWitt Hall writes, the current flap in conservative Christian circles about bathroom access is a bit baffling. They shout about God not making mistakes as if God only works in binaries and anything falling outside of black and white cannot be from him. But we don't have a black and white God. Creation is so full of color and variation that it's incomprehensible how we Christians struggle to pare him down to the limited palette of our individual expectations. The worst offenders are the Christians who claim to take the Bible literally. Of course, they don't actually do that. They impose their own filters on stories and phrases to fit their particular ideology. If they really did as they claimed to do, they would quickly see that Jesus must be, by their own exegetical rules, the first transgender male. Yes, that is what she has said. If you take the Bible literally, she says, Jesus is the first transgender male. She says, let's take a look at what the Bible and Christianity tell us. The teaching of the church from ancient days through today is that Jesus received his fleshly self from Mary. The church also teaches that Jesus is the new Adam born of the new Eve. Not, not quite here, but oh. Okay, she says, now Eve is a fascinating creature for many reasons. The Bible tells us she is the first example of human cloning. And she touched on that on a, in a previous post anyway. She says, but the fun doesn't stop there. If we take the Genesis account in its literal meaning, as conservative Christians demand that we do, she, Eve, is also the first case of a transgender woman. See, aren't you just learning all kinds of things today? Here we are equipping you with insanity. At equipping Eve, God reached into Adam, Suzanne DeWitt Hall says, pulled out a bit of rib bone and grew Eve from that XY DNA into Adam's companion. She was created genetically male and yet transformed into a woman. Now, she says that God grew Eve from the XY DNA of Adam. Shall we open our Bibles to Genesis and see exactly what happened? Open your Bibles to Genesis 2.21. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us how 
Eve was created, 2.21 Genesis. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Fashioned. Built. God built a woman. She did not grow into Eve. She was fashioned and created fully adult human woman from Adam's rib. There was no transferring, changing morphine of the DNA. God created woman. Sorry, Suzanne DeWitt Hall, but thanks for trying. She goes on. She says, then along comes Jesus, and the whole pattern is both repeated and reversed. The first couple's refusal to cooperate is turned around by Mary's yes. I don't know what that means. Mary said yes, and so then the fall was reversed. I mean, that's essentially what she's saying, which it doesn't make sense. Mary, there was no, you know, what, what if Mary had said no? Then, oh, God would have been in quite the quandary, wouldn't he? Oh, no. Mary said no. Now what am I going to do? Now I need to come up with another plan. Oh, this is a problem. No, no, no. It wasn't exactly a choice. If you turn to Luke 1, verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. You will conceive. There's no, hey, what do you think about this, Mary? We, God was, was up in heaven with his triune self, and the Trinity was discussing, and they thought that maybe you might consider this. So here's our plan. Yes or no? No, 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 no. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. No choices here. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary submitted, understood that God had ordained, and what would be, would be. There was no Mary's yes repeating the fall. That's ridiculous theology. Let's be discerning, shall we? Again, going back to this article from the Huffington Post, Jesus, the first transgender man, Suzanne DeWitt Hall says, along comes Jesus. The whole pattern is repeated in the reverse. The first couple's refusal to cooperate is turned on by Mary's yes. And the second act of cloning occurs. The Holy Spirit comes upon the second Eve, and the child takes flesh from her and is born, born of her flesh, born with XX chromosome pairing, born genetically female, and yet transformed into man. Huh? No, no, no. All you have to do is read the gospel accounts to see that that is utter nonsense. We just read it. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You will conceive in your womb. 
You will bear a son. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Let's turn back to Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, where Joseph is approached by an angel of the Lord. And in verse 21, Matthew 1, 21, the angel of the Lord says of Mary that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's from Isaiah 7, 14. He will bear a son. There was no transformation from a male to a female. You cannot in any way, shape, or form derive that from the biblical text. You have to be completely blind, ignorant, and opposed to the things of God to say that. However, are we surprised? Are we surprised that this would be the mindset of a liberal professing Christian who obviously has no concept of Christianity or God's word? She closes her article and says, a quick look at the dictionary for the prefix trans tells us that it means across, beyond, through, and changing thoroughly, all of which are great terms for the person of Christ. No, no, no. Christ is immutable. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing thoroughly. He's never changed. God does not change. Period. But she says he cuts across all boundaries, is beyond our understanding, is through all and in all, changes us thoroughly into new creations. Yes, he does. But not by being transgender. In his person, she says, and in his salvific actions, Jesus is truly the first and forever trans man. And so what is she doing? Is she saying that she truly believes Jesus is a transgender man, that Eve is a transgender woman, or is she simply trying to cut down the literal grammatical historical approach to hermeneutics and Bible interpretation and saying, well, if you're going to interpret literally, now you have to have transgender Jesus. Does she actually believe that? I don't know. Regardless, her reasoning here is ridiculous. So, as I read that, I of course had to click on the link that led to the blog where she talked about Eve being the first human clone. And so that was published on September 8th, 2015. Suzanne DeWitt Hall wrote a note to Kim Davis about Adam and Steve. And this is where you find out that she does identify as a Christian. She says, while I am a Christian, and a fairly conservative one at that, parentheses, despite being married to a woman, she says there are numerous problems with using a bit, this bit of scripture, meaning the Genesis account of creation, as a defense for what is called traditional marriage. She says the oogliest problem is the fact that Eve seems to be the first instance of successful human cloning, though God did decide to add a tail to the Y chromosome in the process. So if Adam and Eve are the ultimate marriage model, it would mean that we should all mate with our closest genetic match. Most people conclude this isn't such a great idea, and a number of scriptures decry it. And really what she does in this article, she's trying to say, well, look at how dysfunctional Adam and Eve's marriage was, and why would we use that as a model for marriage? She's missing the point that 
traditional marriage, biblical marriage, uses Adam and Eve, the creation of man and woman, saying that marriage relationships are between a man and a woman. It has nothing to do with uh, the, the, the relationship between the two. You know, she, she goes on, she says, uh, you know, she says they were dysfunctional. They didn't communicate when something wicked their way came. They blamed each other for joint mistakes, got kicked out of the best home on the planet, and just look what happened to their kids. So there was the fall, and then you had two sinners who were married. So I don't understand why she doesn't understand this. She concludes, she says, if Adam and Eve are the model for marriage, any Christian who demands a literal interpretation of scripture must conclude the following. Marriage should be between genetic twins, should not involve choice of partner, should not require civil or ecclesiastic involvement, and should result in dysfunctional dynamics. I don't know about you, she says, but to me this sounds like a list of everything a marriage should not be. She's missing the point and, again, attacking the literal interpretation of Scripture by doing this. Because if you have a literal Scripture, now you have literal sin. And then you that means that we need a Savior because we literally cannot save ourselves because we're dead in sin. We're slaves to Satan and sin. And we it's only by the, the blood of Christ that we can be saved. And if you start taking all that literally, oh, well, we just don't like that because we love our sin said the quote-unquote Christian who's married to another woman. Um, That would be Suzanne DeWitt Hall, who says that she's a Christian, and yet she apparently, by her own admission, is married to a woman. Uh, Of course you don't want a literal interpretation of the scriptures, because then you are now convicted of your sin and and convicted of the fact that you are living in blatant, unrepentant, unrepentant, repeated sin. And you're going to have to have a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior who died in order to save you. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so she bypasses the fact that the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman because there is a God-ordained order to creation. And the fall turned that upside down, but that God-ordained order was man and woman. Whenever Jesus spoke about marriage, he spoke about it in the context of husband and wife, not wife and wife, not husband and husband. In Matthew 19, he said, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? They were. He wasn't a transgender woman, transgender man, whatever. I don't even understand what, I don't know how the language goes there. She wasn't transgender. God created her female. She was female from the beginning. Anyway, verse five, Anne said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh, but therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. Man and woman, that is the God-ordained design of marriage. Why is that so complicated? But you see, let's be discerning if we're going to talk about the broader use of discernment when we read articles like this, not just get all riled up that she doesn't like this whole it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve argument. Let's see what she's actually attacking. She's attacking the literal interpretation of scripture and she's 
tap dancing and tiptoeing around the actual issue, saying, oh, they had such a dysfunctional marriage. I don't want that. Why would that be my model? Completely ignoring the actual issue, which is there is a God-ordained order. And this is about the God-ordained design being turned upside down and inside out by modern society. That's what this is about. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. We can rest in the fact that God is sovereign even over all of this junk that's going on in our world today. God is still sovereign. He's not surprised at all by any stretch of the imagination. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands wondering what to do. He's just not. And so what we do as Christians is we must continue to be faithful to him and to his word. And that is why, ladies, we must be equipped by his word. We must be equipped and know his word and have our minds be transformed by that word and and have everything go through the filter of of, of the Bible, of the scriptures. Let the scriptures mold us, conform us, prune us, if you will. God uses the scriptures to prune us, to grow us, to look more and more like his son. And we must be so knowledgeable in the scriptures as as society continues to go the way it's going. Because we must be determined to stand firm on the truth of God's word when this starts to hit even closer to home. We aren't surprised by it. We don't necessarily have to sign petitions and boycott and this and that. You do as your conscience tells you to do on those issues. But be determined that you will not waver from God's word. Be determined that you will stand firm on the truth of Christ. And it's not about chasing the ambulance of the latest ridiculous thing that Stephen Furtick has done. It's about recognizing false teaching when you hear it and standing firm and saying, no, the Bible says this. And it's about recognizing if society, if government wants us to do something that is contrary to what God has commanded us to do, it's about standing firm and saying, no, God has commanded me to do this. That's what we must be equipped for, ladies. We can't just go to the book of Jude for that and Second Peter and all the, the discernment passages that the discernment ministries love to go to. We can't just go to Leviticus and, and pull out all the verses that speak about homosexuality. We must know the whole counsel of God. We must equip ourselves, equip our children with that word. We must. We simply must. And then when we read ridiculous blog posts in the Huffington Post, of course we know before we even read them that they're going to be ridiculous, but we can pick out the actual issues. We can see what's actually being attacked. What's being attacked here is the very word of God. It's saying, oh no, don't interpret the word of God literally. If you do that, look at all of the the crazy theology you end up with. You know, is that what you want? Well, no, because if I interpret it literally, that's not what I come up with. You're dancing around the issue. Let's be equipped to recognize that. 
you know, the sad thing is they're just simply our churches and Christians that don't get that. They don't get, going back to the issue we were just talking about, these God-ordained roles that have been set forth by God from the beginning. There's an example I came across a few weeks ago. There was an article entitled, Freedom and Fear, Preaching as a Young Woman. Well, you probably should be fearful of the the repercussions from God, since he commands women not teach and hold authority over men. This article says, in the mid-90s, Spring Creek Baptist Church broke with Oklahoma Baptist tradition and ordained women to the office of deacon. The church was young at that time, formed only a decade earlier. It was just getting its feet under just getting its feet under it when the question of women and leadership began to tear at the communal fabric. Lots of folks left the church through the process. When charter members reflect on this period, it's with a mixture of pride and sadness. Our church took a bold position, born out of something intrinsic to our nature yet unresolved. Spring Creek still wrestles with the implications of this decision, including the ways that it continues to influence the way we practice our faith. What does it mean to affirm women's leadership in 1995, in 2016? This is a live question at Spring Creek where fresh fresh vision, I can't talk today, where fresh vision is given to our conviction that God shows no partiality. Well, that's true. That's true. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female before God, meaning God shows no partiality in salvation. God has saved people of both genders. There's only two genders, FYI, just two, male, female. That's it. God saves slaves, free, poor, rich, men, women, all different skin colors. Jew, Gentile, God shows no partiality in salvation, but he has ordained different roles for men and women, not just in the family, but within the church. Very clearly, in 1 Timothy 2, men are to be the leaders of the church. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women are also made in God's image. Let's be clear about that. And women have far more to contribute to the kingdom of God than simply babies and baked goods. Now, I I don't say that to denigrate uh, children or, or families or anything like that, but there's there's far more that women can contribute to the church and to the kingdom of God than just you know bringing a casserole or finger foods um, and raising children. Not not every woman is called to raise a family. God has not ordained that every woman would do that. And not every woman can bake or cook. That's just the way it is. But women are also not to be hold positions of authority and leadership within the church. What is something that women should be doing within the body? Titus 2. Older women 
Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, teaching what is good. They can teach so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. The older women teach the younger women. Ladies, women have great value in scripture, in the eyes of Jesus. They were of great importance to Jesus and to his ministry. You know, we think of the woman at the well. We think of the fact that women were the first to see the risen Christ, that women were essential to the ministry of Jesus. You know, we get a hint of that at the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, verse 55, we're told many women were there looking on from a distance at the crucifixion who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. You know, we know that women um, played an important role in even the apostles' ministry, you know, whether it was financially or, or or whatnot. And so women are not denigrated in Scripture, but they do have different roles than men. And those roles, while many women are called to be wives and mothers, and so their primary role is raising children, th- those roles do go beyond babies and baked goods. I'm just going to say that. I'm no feminist, but let's be clear. Our role goes beyond babies and baked goods in. And we'll talk about this more in future episodes. But let's also be very clear. Women are not to have authority in the church. Women are to teach the women. Women teach the children. Women are valuable contributors to the kingdom of God. And so I do want to discuss this more in future episodes because there have been some waves recently within the more conservative complementarian community regarding the role of women in the church. Um, you know, there's there's been kind of a Sunday school issue, if you will. A Sunday school row, if you will. I've always wanted to use that word row. I think it fits here. A Sunday school row. Can women teach Sunday school to men, like to mixed audiences? I would say no. No, women should not be doing that. But I think there's a broader issue here, a broader dangerous trajectory that some who might think that could start going down. And so this article from Spring Creek Baptist Church went on to talk about how they allowed not just a woman to preach from the pulpit, but a high school student. Uh, This pastor writes, we were fortunate to have Jillian Mitchell, a high school student and lifelong member of Spring Creek, share a sermon. She's a lifelong member. Well, you really shouldn't be a member of a church until you've been saved and baptized and understand the importance of being a member of a church body there. And then he posted this text message conversation that they had about her first experience preaching. Jillian Mitchell, if you're listening, that better be your last experience preaching because you were in direct disobedience to the word of God by preaching to mixed audiences on a Sunday and if you read this text message conversation that she had, it's it's clear that the focus is not where it should be. The focus is not on the word of God and on proclaiming Christ. This was all about her. How was your experience? How did you feel? You know, she says, the congregation poured out love and encouragement. I expected kindness, even if I did terrible. But what I experienced overwhelmed me. I felt so loved and connected to the congregation in a new way. The thing that surprised me the most was how shocked everyone was with simply my voice and the speed that I talk with. I think people appreciated it, and that meant a lot to me. 
the most fulfilling was the writing and crafting of the sermon. I loved choosing the words and toying with ideas until one finally clicked. You know, if you're preparing a sermon, I anticipate that what should be most fulfilling is digging into the scriptures and learning about Jesus and learning about God and his word and, and the excitement of being able to bring that to to people that, that God has put under your care. I'm speaking if you're a pastor, not a random high school girl, being able to bring that truth that God has revealed to you through his word and, and proclaim it to others, not, you know, not choosing words and toying with ideas until one finally clicked. And so that's probably why we shouldn't have high school girls preaching sermons. Unfortunately, that's how I'm sure some seeker driven pastors, men prepare their sermons. So is it any different? Probably not. And so we've kind of bounced all around here today, ladies, but ultimately, let's remember, there are God-ordained roles for men and women. Let's remember, Jesus was not the first transgender man. There is no actual transgender man. I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you do to yourself. I don't care if your insurance pays for it. If you were born a man, you are a man, no matter what dress size you are. If you were born a woman, you are a woman, no matter what surgical procedures you have. And God has ordained different roles for each gender. But both men and women are made in God's image. Both men and women are saved by God. God shows no partiality in salvation. And ladies, this is why it is essential for you to be equipped. Because there are important roles for you in the kingdom. No, you don't get to stand behind a pulpit and and be a pastor. That's okay. Any of us who are steeped in the scriptures would not desire that anyway. Because we know that's not what God has commanded. But you teach your children. You teach the other women. You are very valuable. You've been listening to Equipping Eve, a No Compromise Radio production. If you'd like to get a hold of Erin, you can reach her at equippingeve at gmail.com, or you can check out one of her two websites, do not be surprised.com or equippingeve.org. Thanks for listening. 